there's few things that can mess up your grazing plans like a drought. Maybe this is the year you want to try out grazing a cover crop, or a different breed of cattle, or those funny looking tumble wheels you saw your neighbor using instead of stepping posts that one time. A drought can mean you have to shelve all those plants, and it would be kind of convenient if the impacts of drought were just limited to wrecking fun and new plants. But as any agriculture producer in Alberta knows, droughts tend to hit you hardest in your elevated stress levels and in your bank account. Now that said, having a plan for drought might help with those last two things. I'm Derek Leahy, and in this episode of Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, we're discussing drought plans. Welcome to the launch of an exciting new series for the Rural Roots to Climate Solutions podcast called Getting Through Drought. The series will explore the best management practices that cow-calf operators in Alberta can use to prepare for the next drought or during the next drought. Yes, I know the D word. It's not something a lot of folks want to be reminded of because it does come with a lot of bad memories and probably a lot of anxiety too. I get it. But we all know it's only a matter of time before the next drought. Doesn't hurt to have a few extra tools at your disposal to help you out when it does hit. In our first installment of the series, we're talking to Sean McGrath of Round Rock Ranching in East Central Alberta about how you create a drought plan. So you know that expression, having a plan for a rainy day? Clearly it's not a good fit here, so this is more like our exploration of a plan for a not-so-rainy day. My name is Sean McGrath. We ranch about 25 miles southeast of Vermilion, Alberta. And we're actually just on the very, very northern tip of the Palliser Triangle. Our operation is is primarily cow-calf focused. We are a grazing operation. So one of the things that's really different about us is that our operation in, in Vermilion is about 95% native rangeland. So we work on grazing year-round and primarily beef cow-calf focused. We do sell some seed stock and then we try and maintain our calves and, and background them over the winter and grass them in the summer. And it's just a risk management strategy. So we have cattle, if it doesn't rain, that we can disposable cattle in case of the moisture deficits, that sort of thing. If you've been listening to our podcast for the last year or so, you know, we talk about regenerative agriculture a lot. Now, depending on who you talk to, there's either five or six principles to regenerative agriculture. Now, that sixth principle to regenerative agriculture is knowing the context of your farmer ranch. So I decided to ask Sean about the context of his ranch. We're in Canada and our temperature ranges from plus 45 to minus 45 last winter. That's fairly typical Canadian temperature wise. Our soil is variable is probably the best way to describe it. So we, our ranch, we have a lot of coolies, depressions, hills. So we're on the south end of the thin black soil zone and the north end of the dark brown soil zone. And most of our soil is actually undifferentiated largely because it's on the side of the coolies. So, you know, probably the vegetation gives a better idea of sort of our variability. So we have everything from sand dunes and cactuses to poplar trees to plains rough fescue would be a climax grass in a lot of our soils and literally all the way down to cactuses so i think our average precipitation well I'd, i don't really like the term average because it's everything one side and the other fair <laughs> but if we had an average year i think we're somewhere around that 11 to 12 inch range of rainfall and then and then obviously snow on top of that We've ranged everywhere from, um, in 02, we had three eighths of an inch 
total on our ranch from the 1st of May to the end of September. In 2019, we had 32 inches from the end of June to the end of September. One thing I just had to find out from Sean before we dove into the actual interview was where does the name Round Rock Ranching come from? I'm actually the fifth generation of when we did our part of succession planning and kind of came into management of the operation. Our area and all the coolies are full of these big round rocks and they're actually concretions and they're basically got rolled under the front of the glaciers and compressed the sandstone into almost perfectly round rocks. And if you break them open, there's quite often fossils, petrified eels and that sort of thing inside the middle of the rocks. Oh, wow. We have lots of other rocks too, but the round rocks are the noteworthy ones. (laughs) (laughs) That's very cool and not the answer I was expecting at all. All right. So the first question about drought planning I asked Sean felt like a bit of a stupid question, but we did agree in the end it was an important question to discuss. What exactly is a drought plan? It's basically a plan or a strategy that you can enact when the law of averages works against you and and you don't have that moisture to grow grow a crop. That could be predicated by all kinds of things. It can be lack of rainfall, it can be excessive heat. Also, the other thing a lot of people don't think about is it can be predicated by a really cold, dry spring where plants just don't get growing. What do you do in the interim? Wait for that forage to grow? So it's a way to think through and have your strategies you're going to use to tackle that formalized. People aren't going to like this, but it should be written down just so that you're accountable. And primarily the biggest thing with the drought plan is it's it's just a way to make sure that you're paying attention and noticing the warning signs. Next, I asked Sean, if somebody's putting together a drought plan right now, where's a good spot to start? I mean, I think the first thing to know or understand that you're in your operation is, is sort of what is average. I just said, I don't like that term, but it's, <laughs> it's kind of good to understand like historically, what are my historical yields? Well, what have I done? How have I used my pastures? What's my traditional carryover? It's almost sort of a grazing plan process, but it's it's to understand, you know, what resources do I have to begin with? And the other part of that I think that's pretty important is what cattle do I have that I'm readily willing to part with? So the issue with drought is lack of production. So if I was to give you an example, so if I had 10 acres, my farm is 10 acres and I can grow enough feed to feed 10 cows for the year and my production is half of that, I've either got to buy feed in or I've got to get rid of five cows, right? I've got 10 cows was on 10 acres for the year. If my production's halved, I've got to knock it down to five cows. How do I identify which animal units I'm willing to dispose of? That's probably the best place to start. Know that average and have a, I call it the hit list. You know, in the spirit of Yellowstone, what cows are you willing to take to the train station if it doesn't rain? And the other thing I think that's really important as as a step tied in with that, maybe we'll call it step three, is is to have trigger dates in that plan with expected rainfall amounts. So if I don't get at least one inch of rain by the 31st of May, how many cows go and what's my plan? If I don't add an inch to that by the 15th of June, what's my plan? It may rain the day after you send those cows. That's fine. That's going to mean the cows you've got have more forage. You can always buy cows back. But if you wait too long, you put the entire herd in jeopardy in some ways because you can't graze your way or manage your way out of that. I mean, those are kind of the key operational steps And then the other step that's a little bit more complex is sort of the financial step. If I sell cows, what am I going to do with the money? And am I going to buy feed for the other cows or am I going to put that money in reserves to buy cows back when it rains? What kind of costs am I looking at going forward? Is feed going to be more expensive for the cows I keep? You know, there's there's a few unknowns there, but that's kind of the other part of that plan. Now, the last one's a really interesting one. How do you figure that part out? 
A drill plan is really fluid. It could rain today or not rain today. The important part is is actually is to have a plan. So let's say my decision was I'm going to, well, I'm going to sell these five cows and I'm going to use that money to pay for feed for my other five cows I want to keep because I think going forward, I may need extra winter feed because I may not have as much forage produced. You're going to be wrong on whatever you forecast that feed is going to cost in, in say October. You know, if it's May and you're forecasting prices in October, you're probably going to be wrong, well, but you won't be 200% wrong. You'll be likely be in the ballpark. You'll be aware. You'll be paying attention. The important part isn't isn't that the plan is perfect. The important part is that the plan is a plan that you can refer to and that holds you accountable for making management decisions and improves those management decisions. It's a little bit of educated guesswork. It's more the accountability of that plan and having an idea of where you want to go. Now we have a general idea of what a drought plan is and some of the things you want to have in it. Here's a few more must-haves and must-dos from Sean when it comes to putting together a drought plan. The first thing that needs to be on there is it does need to be written down. The other thing that should be in a drought plan, and so this is where part that gets a little bit confusing for people sometimes. If your plants are growing really slowly, you don't have to move your cows as quickly. From a forage management perspective, the most difficult thing to think through in terms of a drought plan, what you want to do is you go out there and you see your pasture and it's dried out and there's not much grass there. And so the first thing you think you should do is open the gate and give them a bigger pasture. And that's actually the very worst thing you can do in a drought. It's, it's absolutely the worst thing. So if we think about in terms of overgrazing, overgrazing is defined as grazing a plant before it's recovered from the previous grazing event. So if it's dry and the plant's not growing very fast, it's not going to start growing after it's grazed right away. So I can actually stretch my grazing period. The flip side of that is I don't have as much forage on that acre. So the most important thing here is get your cow numbers balanced to that forage resource. So like I said before, you've either got to get rid of cows or supplemental feed them because you've only got X pounds of forage. If you can get those cows balanced to that forage resource, the best thing you can do is actually fence them tighter and stretch your days. So if they're in paddock one for an extra one day, let's say it represents 2% of your ranch. Your cows are on 2% of your ranch for one extra day. 98% of your ranch has one extra day to recover right? And because it's drought and it's growing slowly, it's going to need that extra day. So if I had, you know, if I had 50 paddocks and I could stretch it, so one extra day on every paddock, that's almost two months of extra recovery for those grasses in that first paddock. And and they're going to need that because they just don't have the moisture to recover quickly. But it's certainly a, a different paradigm or a different way to think about managing during drought. Definitely. And, and does it matter the time of year? Like, would you still do that if it was at the, like, the beginning of the growing season? Like, um, one ranch I was on, we did exactly what you were talking about during a drought, but we did it in like August and September where it was like, well, you know, we don't have to worry about growing too much back at this point. So th- does it matter on the time of year with that particular strategy? Yeah. It's, I mean, if, if you're in peak growing season, so in this part of the world, that's, you know, middle of June, 20 hour day length kind of thing. It's extremely important. You can still stretch that forage utilization later in the year. The the impact on recovery isn't as important, but it it will allow more even forage utilization. So, you know, if I put 100 cows in a section versus if I put 100 cows in five acre pieces or 10 acre pieces, 
You can actually utilize more of that forage in, in the smaller paddocks, which may be important to part of the plan, but you, the recovery, you know, I mean, in October, after a severe frost or something, the plants aren't really growing back. So you're not going to necessarily overgraze them, but you can increase forage utilization by using smaller paddocks. Okay. Any other must-haves in the blend? You know, those are probably the big ones. Having that hit list, having a bit of a strategy, you know, don't be scared to go outside your plan if odd and unusual opportunities present themselves. So things like, you know, you may have a grain farming neighbor that used to have cows and, you know, out of the goodness of their heart, they offer you some stubble or, you know, there, there's opportunities out there. So don't be scared to pay attention and look at those. Don't be scared to look into alternative feed sources. So supplemental feeds, dried distillers, canola meal, alternative forage sources. You can feed cows barley and straw. A cow doesn't necessarily have to eat hay. I mean, keep, have a plan, but keep an open mind. The plan will be adapting on a pretty rapid basis. Feed additives or alternatives to hay is one of the topics that we're hoping to explore in this series. So stay tuned for more info on that one. This is the second time in the episode that Sean mentions the hit list or the list of cows that just unfortunately have to go should your numbers of cattle exceed your ranch's forage supply in a given year. I was curious what Sean looks for when deciding which cows to keep and which ones he has to sell in a drought situation. I mentioned earlier, like we, we background our calves. If we were short on winter feed supply, we might sell those calves in the fall so maybe they would go in December instead of feeding them. If we're short on grass I can take those yearling steers for example and I can sell them in May. If the drought's local I can probably still get a good price going on to grass. If the drought is bigger I may take a depressed price but I, I've instantly removed that grazing pressure that amount of grazing pressure so they're sort of the disposable class. If you're a cow if I have to touch you for anything other than AI vaccination or preg checking you're probably on the list. <laughs> Anything that loses a calf, instantly on the list. If you get down to nuts and bolts further into the summer, uh, so we calf May, June. If it's really dry and it's the 15th of June and you haven't calved yet, I mean, we would look and make sure it wasn't a cow that was going to calve that week kind of thing or imminently, but late calving cows would be gone. And then we'd probably start sorting through based on age. So, you know, if it's really dry, okay, all the 12-year-old cows will go, 11-year-old cows will go, 10-year-old cows will go and start working down the list. Well, since, yeah, I guess knowing your herd really well, it's helpful in those cases too. Like if you're oblivious a little bit or what your cows are like, it's going to be kind of harder to make those decisions, but it's also you guys got a pretty good idea of what each cow can and that do. And it really is as simple as like, if I touch you for anything other than routine maintenance, it's <laughs> you're on the list like instantly. There's pressure on the cows too, I guess, from that perspective. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. Next, I asked Sean what cow-calf operators should consider when it comes to the timing of their drought plans. Experience helps. Gaining experience isn't very fun, but experience does help. Yeah. Those trigger dates are, are really are designed to help. Like they, they kind of put a line in the sand. It's very easy to look and think, well, the forecast says it's going to rain on Thursday. You know, maybe I'll hold these calves for an extra week. And if it doesn't rain on Thursday and you've missed your market day, that extra week can be a killer. So you know, being confident in your plan, those trigger dates are key. Paying attention, looking at plant growth. Droughts are a ton of work. They're a ton of stress. doesn't matter if you if you have a plant or not. I mean, they, they are a ton of stress. So it's, it's important, you know, in that process. Pay attention to what the plants are telling you. Don't be scared to get rid of cows. Make sure you've got some outlets off the farm that aren't, you know, just 100% of the time 
stressing about the drought. And like those trigger dates and those rainfall amounts or that stage of forage growth is is as good or better an indicator than rainfall amounts. But to have those hard and fast and, and to have those rules, we don't like to operate in rules, but the rules do help make the decision and they make the decision easier, whether you believe it or not. Just you hit the 15th of May, my grass is only at two leaf. I've only got an inch of rain. I need to get rid of these cows. End of discussion. The decision is made before you get to the point where you feel like you're back in a corner. Well, with a drought plan, how much do you need to like take into like winter feed? Or is it just really just kind of got your eyes on the prize? Like not just focus on the growing season. That's it. Whatever happens in the winter happens in the winter. Or is that also part of the plan? The winter you're coming out of and the winter you're going into are are really, really important. So one of the things that happens in drought lots of times is that cow prices locally are depressed, right? Because everybody's getting rid of cows. If there's a drought, lots of times your future winter feed supply. So if there was a drought in the summer of 22, you know that the 22, 23 winter probably isn't going to have as much feed available, readily available, at least not locally. So sometimes getting rid of cows a little sooner, maybe capturing a bit of a higher market price, lets you cover the cost differential on some of that feed. There's a kind of a rule of thumb that you can't feed your way out of a drought. I think that's pretty good advice, at least in our experience. But again, like I said before, like you certainly don't have to feed hay. Like a beef cow doesn't have to have hay. That's not the only thing they can eat. So there may be some cheaper, unique alternatives. That rule about you know, having feed stacked in your yard, being able to feed cows for a year without having to buy, put any feed up. I mean, if you can cash flow it, that's not necessarily a bad rule. You know, economically, it's maybe not the most efficient use of that feed, but from a resiliency perspective, certainly has some value. What happened to keeping carryover feed is another one I hope we explore in this series. I'm actually curious if it's still practical given today's cow-calf economics. Now, as the conversation with Sean came to an end, I had a couple questions for him that had less to do with cows and feed and more about the people side of things when it came to drought planning, such as how important is it to get your family on board with your drought plan? Oh, Massive, massively. I mean, I'll tell you from a personal perspective here, we all have the same approach to cows. So that is, you know, we're responsible to look after them. We're responsible to provide the resources that cow needs to succeed. They're responsible for everything else. So for me, if, you know, if a cow loses a calf, it is not an emotional decision. If it's the end of May and cows are done calving and I have cows that are calving late, I have no qualms about just as an example, if, if your farm is one where your cows have names or you can't send your kid's 4-H cow to town, that discussion is really important so everybody can be on the same page. Droughts are really expensive. That's the other part. Like there is no way you can go through a drought and have it like it's just an expensive proposition. So, you know, you need to have those discussions with the people involved about about the money aspect what's the plan if you're going to borrow $100,000 to buy feed that is not a personal decision that's an operational or a family decision i mean depending on how your operation is structured one of the things we do here we carry drought insurance or moisture insurance so theoretically in the event that we have a drought it should pay out some cash and we would use that cash i mean our plan is that we use that cash to pay for the difference in some of the feed that we buy. That's a discussion you just, you need to be aware of. You know, in extreme cases, you probably also need to be in touch with your lender over the course of hopefully only a year, but over the course of those years, you know, if droughts impact cash flow, that's a family 
a really, really important family discussion. What are we going to do? How do we pay our mortgages? That's something that needs to be discussed with everyone involved, the lender, everybody, and to have a plan and let them know well ahead of time. And to wrap things up, some words of advice from Sean for the next time, because we all know there will be a next time, for the next time you're faced with a drought. Well, it will rain. <laughs> it will <laughs> rain. You know, and at the time it's just seems totally frustrating and helpless and hopeless, you know, but it's not. Well, at the end of 2002, we had 75 cows left, but they were very good cows. So the silver lining is, you know, even when you're getting rid of these cows, at the end of the day, your cow herd will be better. It will rain again, you know, and the stuff that's important, family, watching your kids grow up, all those things. I mean, that, that's still there. You know, you're in the middle of a drought and you don't even realize it as an adult. Lots of times if you have kids at home, that stress carries over to your whole family. It's important to step back and, and kind of look at your blessings. I mean, that's maybe a little bit of a personal punch in the gut from last year. Just to make sure you take the time to step back and appreciate what's going right because it's not all going wrong. You know, that, that perspective is important. The other thing I think I would tell people that's maybe more from a hands-on management deployment type of side of it. You know, if you're in the middle of a drought and, and I know it's going to depend on your land base, but really look at some of the temporary and portable fencing solutions. You know, so we talked about cows going into a section and how do you put them into smaller paddocks. Well, you don't need to invest $80,000 worth of four-wire barbed wire fence. In the event of a drought, you know, there's some pretty good portable fencing solutions that can help you. You know, we graze ditches, right? We roll a string of polywire down the ditch and graze the ditches. And, you know, there's moisture in the ditch because it's a ditch. If you can gain an extra five days of forage through grazing a ditch and that gives five more days to everything else on your ranch to recover you know there, there's lots of hands-on stuff we can do as well we hope you enjoyed our first installment of the getting through drought series we've got a whole bunch more episodes coming your way soon in the meantime you might want to listen to episode 40 grazing for water infiltration and episode 23 water and adaptation to give you a few more ideas for your drought plan. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based initiative empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with climate solutions. Rural Roots runs workshops, farm field days, webinars, and the Regenerative Agriculture Lab, produces a farmer's blog, works with rural communities to develop their own renewable energy projects, and of course, we do this podcast. For more information about us and what we do, go to the website, which is www.rr2cs.ca. The rest of the amazing and talented Rural Roots to Climate Solutions team is Marie Galanka, Shiana Younger, and Kristen Mountain. The podcast is funded by a variety of Alberta-based funders, and the Getting Through Drought series is largely funded by results-driven agriculture research, or RDAR. My parts of the podcast were recorded in Calgary, so that means they were recorded on Treaty 7 lands and in the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. Happy farming wherever you are in Alberta. And remember, what's good for the climate is good for the farm.